just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Welcome to the show. I am very lucky today to have with me a guest who is a specialist in empathy and leadership with empathy and a communication specialist as well. She is also a professional coach, both one-to-one and group, and we're going to have a bit of talk about coaching. She is a TEDx speaker, a keynote speaker on the subject of leadership and empathy. So let's please welcome to the show, Shola Kay. Hi, John. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. I'm really glad that you agreed to come on the show. And we have some very exciting things to talk about today, stuff that I haven't talked about too much on the show before. I am uh, really interested to know a bit more about the uh, the relevance of uh, empathy in leadership and, and what you talk about in relation to that. Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, it's interesting the way that I came to empathy as a topic because years ago, my first corporate job I was working in the States as a consultant and I was this little green, uh, just straight out of university person that didn't have a a, a lot of knowledge of, of leadership or uh, corporate matters. And so I was so timid uh, that I didn't really want to speak up in meetings. So what happened was I was very uh, sort of summoned to my managing director's office and I thought, oh, well, they're going to send me on a training course or they're going to get me a mentor. And they announced, right, we're putting you on probation. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so um, so that was my kind of introduction to the importance of communication skills, because if you can't speak up and share what you know, then people will think you don't have any value. And then it was years later when I got the opportunity to do a TEDx talk. And I was thinking, well, what what should this be about? And I was thinking about empathy and and realizing that all those years ago, there wasn't a lot of empathy being shown to me in that position uh, in in the workplace. And so it's interesting because now empathy is a a really huge topic. What with the um, obviously sort of dealing with COVID, dealing with remote working, dealing with diversity and inclusion. Um, so, so yeah, it's sort of come, come back around. So my um, very inauspicious beginnings in the corporate workplace have, uh, <laughs> have sort of ended up serving me well. <laughs> yeah. So 
I'm not sure that empathy is always the emotion or the feeling that gets associated with people in the business world. That it's usually one of those things that we're kind of expected to shut off. And, and this this actually is something I've talked about a, a bit on the show before about uh, this sort of um, if you're like, archetype of business people as being sort of hard nosed and tough on decision making and not emotional and. Um, very, very sort of stoic about everything, and uh, it's all you know. It's nothing personal; it's just business, and you make the tough decisions, and you're ruthless. That's the sort of archetype that we generally carry about people, especially people who are successful in business. So, is is empathy a welcome message? <laughs> it's it's interesting because I, I think years ago, you know, if we'd looked at this, say five, ten years ago, even it would be seen as this kind of wishy-washy, quite soppy, why why even bother? As you say, get down to business, transact, transact. Uh, and, and I think with the a, a lot of um, the, the millennials in the workplace, there's a, a lot of um, studies by Gallup and other organisations saying that they actually require empathy to be shown. And if, if it's not, if, or if there's not enough, they're, they're going to walk. Um, and of course, you know, the situation sort of post-COVID is a little different because obviously the, the number of jobs aren't quite so plentiful as they once were. Right. But nevertheless, it's, it's very much something that um, younger, the younger generations are, are looking for in their workplace. So I think a lot of companies now to be more competitive are realising that they need to up their game in terms of how caring they come across and how understanding how much they listen. Um, and of course, you know, tying into bring your whole self to work, being inclusive. Empathy really does underpin a lot of those sorts of initiatives because it's about listening and understanding what people need. Yeah. So, I mean, for in the business world, and you know, getting red faced and uh, chatting snowflake all the time for these kinds of things isn't really going to fix it. Is it going to make the issue worse? Right? Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's interesting because, as I say, when I started coming into this, um, I I sort of came at it because I'd been shown a distinct lack of empathy. And I feel like a, a lot of the work that's coming to be at the moment is with senior leadership teams and they're actually understanding, well, look, if we want this sort of workplace, it's got to trickle down from the top. We can't just say, hey, you you guys just go and be empathetic amongst yourselves and uh, we'll just sit here doing our own thing. Uh, they realise that they've got to set an example. So it's, um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of um, obviously looking at how empathy can, can work, not only in making connections with your employees and creating a better workplace, but um, even people People like sort of Satnid Adela, who is the CEO of Microsoft, he gave a speech at Wharton and he talked about empathy being um, a strategic advantage because obviously if you can empathize with the, the your clients and customers, you can put yourself in their place, understand their problems that they're facing, the challenges, even take their perspective and walk through their business processes with that hat on and then of course you're more likely to come up with better solutions uh, be more innovative and so on so I think people are are really realizing that it's not it's not just a nice to have but um, especially with uh, all the the rise in automation and AI and so on and so forth the the skills that we as humans are needed uh, are required to bring to the workplace are becoming increasingly complex mm. and um, you know there's a um, uh, often when I give a give presentations, I talk about five years ago, LinkedIn 
every year they they release uh, the top 10 in demand soft skills you know as as they see you know in um uh, job postings and just five years ago on that list were things like communication um punctuality which punctuality is like you must be on time don't be <laughs> very uh very sort of like almost call it like cave cave caveman like requirement um and then we flash forward to to, to 2020 and those are gone it's all about uh, creativity adaptability collaboration um and of, of course um and there's the skill of of being able to empathize with other people and emotional intelligence mm. so so we're seeing that those sorts of skills are really really important these days and i think the workplace is beginning to cotton on to that and they're they're delivering these sorts of programs the sorts that i um, i deliver myself yeah so I, I think sometimes when I've talked about empathy with people, I've been aware that we don't always necessarily understand the same thing when we say empathy. So, so can you give us the definition of empathy that, that you are working with? Yeah, good question, actually, because um, it, it's, it's funny, even among practitioners, I've talked to people and they've said, well, you know, my view of empathy is this. or, And I tend to think of empathy as it's the ability to understand the feelings of another person. And being able to get into their shoes, is, it's, it's not a, a trivial activity. I mean, it takes a lot of courage and energy to do that. And so the idea is that you can only be empathetic with a, a small number of people at a time. Whereas there are other practitioners who say, well, empathy is just a sort of state of being. It's, it's just being open-minded to, to what people are feeling and being more considerate. And so I, I tend to take the, the former perspective on this. And um, typically when I talk about it we, uh, with, with clients, we say, well, um, one of the downsides of, of, of using empathy as a tool like this is the fact that you cannot be empathetic with hundreds of people at a time so you've got to choose who you want to be empathetic with and then of course that's where the biases come in because you end up you know typically you might choose those people who you know you get on well with or you went to school with or they're like you so even with um with empathy being such a fantastic skill to have we've still got to be aware of how we employ the empathy and um you know who who we use it with yeah. So one of the things that I um, often do is at the end of a, a session, I give people a, a, a sort of 30 day strategy. When I say, well, it's all very well to say I'm going to be empathetic, but choose those, the, the people that when they come to you, you're like, oh, no, it's them again. Or you're rolling. Oh, no. they're the people that you want to try this with, not with your buddies that you love hanging out with. Yes, of course, where you where you naturally have empathy and rapport anyway, and uh, and that, that was kind of the the reason why I asked about whether it was a welcome message as well in the business world because now the the archetypal business figure is more of the sort of. Um, sociopathic narcissistic kind of personality <laughs> uh, which is which is not empathetic at all it's not empathic and uh, and uh, probably even frowns or uh, sneers at, at empathy as as uh, being a weakness as being something that, uh, that has no place in the in the world of business so you're saying that now it very much does whether whether people want it to or not there really is no option but to to address this and and uh, and to have this in your business environment. Mm, yeah, very much so. And uh, sometimes we look at examples from the 80s, like there have been a lot of catastrophic, um, you know, loss of life, for example, the space shuttle, where eight engineers spoke up and said, hey, the, the shuttle should not be flying in the cold. And that message never 
got any further or uh for example the sort of very hierarchical kind of cockpit culture that we had in the 80s and we had some very and even into the 90s and beyond but some very um high profile and very tragic loss of life where the co-pilot was kind of hinting to the pilot hey well do you think we should we should be taking off and let you just shut up and listen to me sort of thing and then of course what happens is there's a, a crash and and loss of life um and so part of empathy is of course around listening and being able to have the humility to listen to you know we're talking about a leader the people that are beneath them so that you don't have these catastrophic things happening and um i think you know what giving people those sorts of uh, examples and of course in the corporate world it's not necessarily going to mean that you're going to have hundreds of, of lives lost when somebody doesn't listen but nevertheless I mean those kind of extreme examples can often help to bring it home to people that hey oh yeah I do need to listen to these people every now and again and um, and, and keep my team in mind and not just kind of blunder ahead because I'm the boss and I know what I'm doing. Yeah I, I would maybe even say that in a uh in a business or any kind of culture where where a, a lack of, where emotion is frowned upon where emotion is seen as a weakness that encourages people more to to switch off switch that off suppress that within themselves and and therefore perhaps make decisions that aren't based on um things that are actually looking after people is, is the kind of decision that allows you to say well you know if we if we release this car yeah sure sometimes it's going to explode and this many people (laughs) will die but you know but look how much money we're going to make the lawsuits aren't even going to cost as much as that (laughs) it's like well if you can make those kinds of decisions I I, I would say that's not coming from a place of empathy (laughs) from (laughs) kindness for other people but as uh, as someone who uh, was was a flight attendant for 12 years which I was um, that uh, yeah definitely the, the airline teach their staff uh, these things of you know the, there was a time I, I even I remember this in the airlines there was a time when you really could not say anything much to some of the captains on the plane that they much like uh, sort of surgeons in hospitals sometimes like this god complex um sort of personality where uh, where every what they say goes and uh, any dissent won't be tolerated kind of thing that that has had to change because it's caused uh, it's caused problems and it's caused deaths and uh, whilst it may not be that in every situation yeah that uh, communication um can, can uh, i think good communication has to have a level of empathy within it Mm, very much so yeah and and it's funny talking about this this ceo and sort of people with power uh there actually been some studies where they measure the amount of empathy that people in power have and they find that there's a, a there's a dip you know so the higher up the ranks you you rise the less empathy you have and whether that's because people with without empathy are more ruthless and naturally will kind of get to the top anyway or whether it's because there is actually some something that switches off the empathy in you as you continue to rise up the ladder I'm, I'm not really sure but it's quite interesting to, to see that you know it can be measured and there is is a correlation between you know um rank and 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 empathy yeah i, I do think when when certain things become uh, part of a culture that very much people who might otherwise be empathetic and uh, and have kindness and emotion for others um, might find ways to switch that off to justify doing so as well. It's it's always surprising what we can what we can actually justify to ourselves and rationalise 
Uh, and we tend to underestimate just how good we are at doing that, even in thinking, oh, I'd never be that kind of person. But, well, I think we all have the capability. <laughs> but uh, but yes. and perhaps, perhaps we don't all have for such a capability for empathy. I think that some people maybe just don't, but for the vast majority of us, we do. Mm. Yeah, and, it, and on that, there's a, a study that quite a lot of the when you read the sort of psychology books, and they talk about um, this study where people were were given the op- option to kind of give um, subjects electric, a sort of fake electric shock. So there's someone sitting in, a, in another room, and these people are told, "Well, you know, I, I think it's important that you give this person this electric shock." And and some people are, "No, no, I can't do that." But with persuasion. Most people were like, yeah, and they're seeing this person like yelping and yelling in the other room. And they, they because they thought that that's what they should do and that's what they're being told to do, they'll just go ahead and do it. So it, it does require, a, um, I guess, if you're in that, that sort of culture where it, it's sort of frowned upon or people aren't particularly uh, warm or empathetic or caring, I think people can very quickly justify that, oh, well, if this is how it is to get ahead, this is what's needed, I'm going to do it as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting one, the way that human psychology wraps up with, with all of this. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it kind of ends up, not, not, maybe it's one, maybe it's the other, maybe it's both. It's, uh, I don't know if we necessarily um, need a definitive answer on that, but just, just know it exists and that it's something that needs to be addressed. What, what in your experience, have been, have been the benefits within business where that has been addressed and, and where something has been done to create that um, greater communication, that empathy uh, between the different uh, hierarchies of a business? Mm. Well, I think t- t- this is the classic things like, you know, teams working better together, uh, more flow of information, both up and down the organisation, because transparency, for example, is 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 a, a huge factor in people feeling motivated and wanting to to help the organisation move forward versus having this very higher up. Well, we, you know, we only need to know this information. No one else needs to know. So that sort of thing. Um, and then also um, sort of going to sort of bias and inclusion this idea that as humans we need to be part of an in-group you know we need to be part of a group um and so the, this idea of kind of creating more of a warm and, and in-group atmosphere amongst the entire organization and and putting your competitors as the out group so that you get those stronger bonds you get the listening you get the the the, the caring the empathy etc within the organization and there isn't that kind of um the, the co- competitiveness from one team to another, or even individuals within the team. Mm. So I think when people understand um, the benefits of, of empathy and even of just, just listening as a precursor to being more empathetic, and then they start thinking about what is empathic listening, which is, um, you know, not debating, not challenging, uh, not, not interrupting, uh, but just letting somebody ex- talk about their lived experience. And of course, there are times for debate, there's time for challenge, there's times for all of that. But there are moments where you've just got to let somebody speak and uh, acknowledge and respect what they're feeling. And I think all too often, especially in the in the workplace, you know, we feel we've got to interrogate, well, what do you mean you feel? You know, we're interrogating someone's simple feelings. And then of course, that person will never open up again. They'll give less at work, et cetera. There's a cycle that comes from that. So I think just on a very basic level, it's just about, um, you know, as I say, teamwork and transparency, but just, just for two. Is part of this as well about teaching um, something like emotional intelligence? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because um, the emotional intelligence is comprised of empathy along with four other um, skills. So most definitely teaching about emotional intelligence. I mean, some people, I, was on, I did a post on emotional intelligence on LinkedIn a couple of months ago and there was a, a leadership expert that said, oh, that's been, been knocked around for 20 years now. Can't you come up with something new? But a lot of people still find it a useful uh, tool and set of skills to develop so I think just because something's been around for a while doesn't mean to say you, you should chuck it away yeah. Uh, so so yeah very much so and as I, I mentioned this LinkedIn um, survey now where emotional intelligence it's it, in this top five soft skills it's number five for the first time ever it's in that top 10 and it's number five so so yeah absolutely what what are some of the things that people who've never done any kind of emotional intelligence work before uh, would start to do to, to get an idea of how to be more emotionally intelligent. Uh, can you edit this? <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, I'll turn this off. Didn't even make this on. Probably my mum. So, so I'm oh, sorry, John. What did you say again? So, what kind of? So, if, so if someone has never really had any experience of emotional intelligence before working mm. with that. Where where would where would you start working with them, or where can they start to understand it and implement it more? Mm. Well, part of it is around um, having social skills, so being better at negotiating office politics, for example. Uh, that's a big one. Then, of course, being able to manage yourself because you, you get people that fly into a rage, or something happens and they get triggered. So, um, another place to start would be looking at your responses. What triggers you? And how can you deal with that? Or how can you, if, if something does trigger you regularly, what can you do? Is it about taking more time for yourself so that you don't fly off the handle so quickly? Is it about uh, just sort of self-care? Is it about being able to communicate how you feel when somebody does something that irritates you? So instead of flying off the handle, you can actually have a conversation about it. So I think uh, uh, there are different places. You could either start with the communication side of things or you could start with self-knowledge. And doing a lot of looking at your values, looking at, as I said, what triggers you, looking at your past and and how that's affected you up to this moment. So there there are different ways to get into this, most definitely. Yeah, so so injecting some conscious awareness into what you currently do uh, gives you the possibility to start to look at, well, there may be other options than the ones that I have been uh, traditionally doing before. I often use the example of, you know, people people often drive around for for those who drive you maybe get from time to time someone who isn't driving quite so well and might uh, might cut you up on the road or nearly drive into the side of you trying to pull out where you're driving that kind of thing and the automatic response to that is usually some some very choice words as my mum experienced recently sorry (laughs) mum I forgot she was in the car with me at the time that happened Uh, but uh, sometimes it's just that immediate response but then generally over over the years um i think it's very possible to keep to keep angry about that to keep really much and be really angry with that uh, person Um, but i've decided that that's not how i want to be you know i consider that part of like 
that's part of me having some level of control, exact, exerting some control over my own emotions, over my own actions and responses and saying, actually, I think there might be a better way to respond to that than the way that I probably would if I didn't really think about it and just let it go, where I keep thinking about it, I keep getting angry about it and it would stay with me all day and I'd be telling everyone and uh, it's like, well, it, well, maybe I just let it go. And uh, and actually just wish that person to have better driving in the future and and let it go out of my mind. And there's similar in those, so many life situations that we have these automatic ways of responding, reacting, um, like unconscious strategies, if you like, how we deal with things. Our brains don't want to have to work too hard, so we tend to just run an automatic. But when we stop doing that for a little while, we at least start to see some that there may be better ways of doing these things than the ways that we've been conditioned or conditioned ourselves into. Absolutely. And and sometimes it's about just putting in a little bit of a circuit breaker, you know, so if something happens, even if it's taking two or three breaths, you know, uh, like, okay, I don't have to just switch into this automatic response mode. Just set this and set the circuit breaker. Oh, okay. I'll decide how I respond to this. Um, so yeah, it, it, some of these tools can be really simple, but it, they can be incredibly effective. But it's having that awareness to apply them at the right moments. If if you could uh, wave a magic wand and corporate culture could be transformed to a way that you see as being um, more beneficial, more em- empathic, what what would it look like in those organisations? Yeah, um, yeah, good question. I think it would be that there's a lot of listening. Uh, obviously, a company has to the typical things, you know, be be quick off the off the mark. Um, Obviously, they've got to. Uh, I'm not saying that to be in business, you've got to have a bit of ruthlessness, but you've got to have a bit of speed and agility, and uh, you know, rapid communication and decision making happening that doesn't take too long. But I think even with all of that, I mean, I've got a client in California. They're a tech company. They're incredibly successful, but they have a very, very warm atmosphere. As soon as I stepped into their London office, it just felt like. Everybody was re- was was friendly, very supportive, um, and that came comes right from the top of the organisation. So I think it, it can be done. It can you can have an organisation that's successful and empathetic as well. And I think especially now with with uh, there's so much choice for for consumers, um, and I think a lot of people out there want to know. They want that story of the company. They want to hear that that it, there's. Um, that it's consistent what the message the brand message that's going out there is consistent with what's happening behind the scenes and yeah. so we hear you know with even people like ellen you know the big kerfuffle recently where it's uh you know she i think her ratings have apparently declined like dropped dramatically um because of what happened there uh and you know with where what uh with the george floyd killing and a lot of companies coming out and saying oh well we, this is our um anti-racist policy and then employees coming out from behind the scenes saying well this is bs because this is what happens here behind the scenes so i think people really are looking for that consistency and um so i think i think it can be done i think it for some companies it takes a lot of work it's going to take a huge effort but i think that it can be done and i think that there is an advantage beyond happy employees um there's an advantage in terms of the way that they're perceived in the uh by by um uh, by the industry and also by consumers and and customers. 
Yeah, so certainly with some of the people I've had on on my show recently, where we've talked about marketing, we've, we've talked about the development of relationship marketing, uh, and I and I've said from my own experience as well that that has become seemingly a, a much more important element in the world of marketing this year, perhaps more than ever before. Um, that it was, I think it was already happening anyway, and I think maybe this year has has accelerated that. But that relates very much to what you're saying about people feeling that they need to be able to like and trust and know what's going on, and and people care about the the ethics. They they want to feel cared about as well by uh, by the people they buy from, by the people that they do business with, or even by, even with the companies and businesses that they work for or alongside. And so that has become a, a, almost a maybe not a critical part, but perhaps in some ways a critical part of doing business, but certainly its, it's importance is increasing. Yeah, very much would agree with you. And um, I think also now with a lot of people at home, we've got more time even to to to, to read the story. You know, you, I remember I was on, on the website, I think, or looking at a brochure just a couple of days ago, and I was looking for this. I wanted to read the brand story. I wanted to to figure out, you know, oh, so, where, so where have they come from? How have they built this brand up? I was interested. And I think perhaps if we looked at where we were perhaps five, ten years ago, um people weren't really sharing those sorts of stories but equally a lot of us weren't really really that interested it's just like does it does it do the job boom let's buy it but I think now people are much more uh concerned about the where their money's going essentially yeah and and I think this this comes down uh something I talk about sometimes on the show about shifts in values levels of uh moving from but there's perhaps the more sort of powerful power and control focused values levels to the more collaborative to the more caring the more interconnected kind of feeling um of, of values where as i say where i think th- things were moving that way anyway and, and if anything that uh, uh, if anything that as good has come from covid it, it has maybe been to accelerate that uh, because I do see it as being, I do see it as being a positive. I do see it as people caring more about, as you say, people caring more about whether whether the companies they're with ha- are actually are actually big on diversity, or whether people are actually being cared about and looked after, or or if it's just kind of being ignored. They 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 just want the sale, but they'll say they'll say what they need to say <laughs> to uh, to to at least keep their public profile okay. And like, well, you know, that's it's not enough. It doesn't cut it. People actually want to want to know and want to look deeper than that and see what's see what's really going on uh, and I think I see it in uh, a lot of the people who I connect with for being on my show for for doing client work with and the likes that uh, that people want to f- definitely want to feel that relationship that they have a, a connection mm, yeah very much so and it and it and it's a good thing because I, I I think I'd rather have a smaller number of clients and just work with them on a repeat basis and just kind of a revolving door of Okay, you, boom, next, 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 next. And I think a lot of uh, uh, practitioners and uh, people in business would rather be that way. Because as we know, it's much easier to have a repeat client than to just have to keep finding new people all the time. So in, in your coaching work then, is that also specialising on on empathy and communication within within the business world? Well, I started out primarily doing a lot of communication coaching. So um I think I've shared this with you when we chatted, but I started out as a professional singer. So after I had my sort of um, awkward moments in the corporate world, uh, I decided, oh, well, as a kid, I always wanted to be a singer. So I'm going to 
branch off and, and do some singing. So I ended up working as a professional singer for about 15 years, singing internationally. And um, after sort of not particularly enjoying communication, having spent several years as a professional singer, of course, I was very uh, used to standing up in front of audiences, used to projecting my voice, et cetera, et cetera. And so then I kind of looked back into public speaking and speaking up in meetings and things again, took some training. And then from there, I, I, I kept getting people saying to me things like, oh, you're a singer. That, that's amazing. That's that. And that, being a, a, a speaker and a singer, they're two, they're, there are a lot of similarities. So um, I moved into using some of my performance skills and my uh, communication skills to be a professional speaking coach and a communication coach um, sometimes with people who worked who had their own small business sometimes it was with people in uh, who worked for companies uh, but I was using that sort of performance background um, and what I call my diva framework which I've kind of put together <laughs> um, but using that as the the tool that I would help people to communicate with so most of my coaching um and until fairly recently has been and, and still I still do a fair bit now has been around communication skills, whether it's speaking up impromptu in meetings, uh, high stakes situations, Q&A sessions or prepared speeches. That's cool. I, I, I'd forgotten that I had meant to after we last spoke, I had meant to go and uh, search you on Spotify, see if I could find any of your songs. <laughs> on <it>. I <laughs> I'm trying to dredge them off Spotify, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great because um, the some of the people I've had on my show, certainly I speak to other people who teach and train presentations and public speaking skills as well, that um, there's all sorts of different takes on it. Um, Nick Diakonastasis, who I had on, is uh, uh, an actor, really, and uh, is a, a trained actor who's sort of bringing those skills into presentation. And um, Elizabeth Backman, who's uh, also been on the show is like trained in uh, and uh, run the Met Opera in New York around. She's uh, she, you know, she's directed people like Pavarotti and Domingo, people like that. And she's brought those sorts of uh, skills and her background into the uh, public speaking training and presentation skills world as well. And it's like it, it's fascinating what just just uh, to hear what what can be so powerful and, and all these different takes and different elements that people can bring. And uh, you know, I think you know you could go and learn from from everyone uh, who has these sorts of different backgrounds and come away with different things that are really going to benefit your performance and, and take you to new, to new levels. Okay, can you tell us a bit more about this Diva framework? Because I'm curious now. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, um, yeah, I've got my book here, How to Be a Diva at Public Speaking. Ooh, and cool. um, yes, and Diva uh, stands for, D stands for being dynamic. I stands for being inspiring, which is about storytelling and, and connecting with people's emotions. V is about being valuable, which is all the bits to do with structure and content and so on. And then A is about being your authentic self. And uh, it, it's interesting because I started out primarily working with women. So it was fine to have this framework that was called Diva. And women were like, yeah, the Diva framework, I'm a Diva. Oh. Um, but then as I started to work more with men, and even some women said, well, I'm, I'm not a Diva. I'm more of a rock star myself. So um, luckily, Diva, uh, even though it's only four letters, it can be it can spell out a few different words. So then I started calling it my avid framework. So avid meaning enthusiastic and keen. Uh, and then someone said, well, it also um, spells out Vida. 
So sometimes I say, well, why don't you speak with a bit of life, the Vida framework? So fortunately for me, it's been fairly adaptable, but the essence of it is the same, which is you've got to bring a bit of life, whether it's your Tony Robbins and you jump up and down when you, you speak and you do 10 hour workshops, or whether it's that you're somebody who loves the language and you use really choice choice language and descriptive language when you speak. Um, there are different ways to be dynamic. And I am personally an introvert. So for me, I always tend to do a lot of interaction. And when I started out speaking, I would think, oh gosh, I, I don't want to speak for a whole hour. How can I, how can I cut down the amount of time I have to speak? And so I would build in a lot of interactive exercises. And then I found that people were rehiring me and rebooking me because it wasn't all about me. It was because there was a lot of time for people to, to self-reflect and come up with their own solutions in my mm-hmm. sessions. Um, so that, that, as I say, being dynamic, a lot of people think, oh, I've got to be super high energy. No, you don't. You just find a way that works for you. So I think what people, uh, clients have liked about the Diva framework is it's 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 not prescriptive. It, it just gives you enough to go on and to tickle the boxes, but you can find your own way around it and make sure that you um, tailor it to your own particular style and the way that you want to want to come across. That's fantastic. And so we usually work with men and women now. What what sort of fit is your uh, is the client that you generally uh, like to work with? Mm. I, I love working with small business owners because they, when you've got your own business, there's no fighting around. Basically, you've got to make it work uh, to, right. to you know, put the food on the table. So I like working with small business owners um, because of that. And because they're typically a business owner will do anything they, they have to do to make it work. Uh, but more recently, I've done a lot of work with people in corporates. And um, in particular, uh, I ha- I've been working with um, an organization called Women in Data. And they have, a the de- as you can imagine, data is every industry and every. So, um, and, and so there are a lot of people there who want that bit of extra gravitas so that they can present comfortably to the C-suite or to the, you know, to Exco level, et cetera. Um, so I do enjoy working with, with those people as well, because often it's just a tiny tweak. It's just a little thing that they need to get in place. And suddenly they, their, their presence and, and gravitas and confidence can, can skyrocket. So it, it's, it can be fascinating just trying to find what that, what, what's that thing? What's that little thing, the little key for that person that once it's turned, boom, their potential is unlocked. Uh, so yeah, I, I like working across, I love coaching. Um, and I, I've, I've got to admit, I, I prefer big groups than working one-to-one. And I think perhaps that's because I'm an introvert. And so as an introvert, when I'm doing a big keynote, it's like, well, I've got to step up. And, and then you just bring everything you need to the table to speak up. Uh, versus when it's one-to-one it's much easier to be a bit more relaxed and kind of more low-key about things so I just like the big the big the big challenges as well as the, the smaller ones yeah well I mean it's, it's amazing how many people I speak to who do presentation skills public speaking public speaking training who are introverts naturally introverts uh, and you know I, I've often described myself as that but I really I, I'm not sure I'm not completely sure I am anymore and uh, I, I think I've actually, I'm more hovering around the sort of ambivert. I can be a bit of both. Uh, but I think that has essentially been because of um, years of coaching, years of uh, public speaking, presentation work and things like that, that, that have pushed that 
needle for me a bit more to the center whereas i you know i i can actually recharge really well um being around people just as much as i can mm. being on my own but i feel like i kind of need both now not just one or the other mm, that's interesting yeah i mean the, the idea of recharging around other people is like oh, how, how can it be done <laughs> but that's great that you, you you can do both that gives you a lot of flexibility there I feel so. I have to apologize. That might be a bit of banging going on in, in the background here. There was uh, drastic refurbishments and repairs going on in the building next door. And uh, so I, I'll try and keep myself muted when that's going on. But uh, I, I certainly don't, don't want to don't want to stop the conversation. But when, when we had a when we had a chat a little while back, one of the other things you did tell me about was that uh, that uh, one of your experiences of speaking didn't go quite so well as you hoped it might. And uh, so, can can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, okay, yeah. I, I guess we've all had several of those where things things happen that weren't planned for. But I was doing a talk. I think it was Women in Engineering at the Royal Academy of Engineering in Central London. And um, they had this stage, um, and I guess it's a temporary stage, and there was a gap between the stage and the wall. And um, I was sort of quite comfortable on stage, and so I decided to sort of lean my hand back against the, 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 the wall and step back a bit. And, of course, my foot just kind of went in this gap between the stage and the, and the uh, wall. Oh, and so I, I tripped over uh, and fell, fell down, which is kind of everyone's worst nightmare when you're speaking. And uh, it's, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I think it's the audience are, will go wherever you as the speaker take them. So if I looked really upset and like, oh my gosh, I fell over, my life's over, uh, they would have probably thought, oh, oh no, this is awful. Whereas I just stood up and laughed, and they all laughed as well. And it's 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 kind of like when you have a you know a little a little child where they fall over, and they look at their mum and dad really quick. Mummy, Daddy, should should I start screaming, or should I just laugh? And then if the parents laugh, they're like, huh? Oh yeah, we laugh. And then if if the parents are like, oh my gosh, my child, then they start screaming and yelling, and it's an awful thing. So it's, I, I think when things go wrong, and especially as a singer, you know, I've had things where the PA, I've been performing in front of hundred people, and my PA cut out you know or um the ipads that i was using kind of stopped working or there's all sorts of things can happen and i think the the, the obviously beforehand you've got to make sure that as, as few things as can go wrong you know go wrong do but uh, on the other hand it's that's part of live performance i mean we could all sit at home and just program a, a speech into alexa or siri and just sit back and listen to something that's perfect word perfect but there's no energy there's no life there's no charisma there's no spontaneity uh so so i think thing, things going wrong within reason i think it's a good opportunity to connect with the audience as opposed to um, you know be worried that they're going to judge you or think that something's awful yeah yeah don't be like the person sort of walking down the street tripping over and going flying and then sort of correcting themselves like it like nothing happens <laughs> <laughs> hoping nobody noticed yeah absolutely go with it um is that it's part of utilization it's part of uh, flexibility adaptability mm-hmm. on the stage as well not uh, not to ignore these things but to uh, to address them utilize them more for connection utilize it in it might maybe it relates to no, you can relate in some other way to something that's going on or you can highlight it to to make a point but um when things when things go wrong i don't think people really judge judge you negatively for it anyway um they they 
they empathize. They're more likely to empathize with you and, and think, oh my goodness, oh, that, if that was me, I'd die. And so when, when you come back for it and say, you know, it's, like, it's okay, I'm okay, no, it's, all, it's all good and we'll, we'll carry on and, uh, and, and you address it like that and acknowledge it. I think that gives them a sense of, oh, goodness, thank goodness for that. <laughs> oh, how are you carrying on after that? I'm not sure I could. You know, I think people Absolutely. actually start to have a bit more respect and think, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty good. I know, I know that's been my experience in the past as well, when both when I've um, had things go wrong on stage, which I certainly have. Uh, I think most, uh, most speakers and presenters do at some point. And, and also when, uh, when I've seen that happen for other people as well. It's uh, it is uh, an opportunity. It's always an opportunity in, in some ways, which is which is really cool. So uh, for for you uh, at the moment, what what's uh, what's coming up for you? What are your plans for uh, for the coming year? Yeah, it's it, it's a really interesting time actually because um, as I say, I'm sort of doing a lot of speaking on empathy now and um, linking that with leadership, with sales, and also with diversity and inclusion. So I've uh, got a few interesting projects. So some which are more working on a retainer basis for some clients and helping them to build up their diversity and inclusion strategy. Others um, with one global organization, we're looking at rolling out an empathy program across the entire organization. Uh, so some, some really interesting projects as well as the, the smaller ones like the one-to-one coaching. And um, I just um, have a, a, a new book that's, come out which is on um, pre-order at the moment and is out I think next week which is on communication skills and it's a scenario based so it's quite an interesting one because I had to sort of come up with um, I think about 50 different scenarios and how if this happened how would you respond and that happened so uh, so that's that's something that I'm uh, sort of looking at promoting at the moment and in the thick of that. What's what's the name of your book for anyone who wants to go and uh, check it out? Yeah, it's um. I think I've got a copy somewhere here. So it's called Big Talk, Small Talk, and Everything in Between. And uh, the publisher did a really nice job of, of with uh, sort of lovely illustrations inside as well. So it's beautifully coloured, even uh, even without the the, the tips <laughs> on communication. So uh, so yeah, feel free. That's I think that's going to be all right. retailers, including Target, even. Oh, so right. uh, yeah, well, great. So, so well, by the by the time the, by the time the show's published, uh, it will be available. So uh, that that's great. People can go and order it. I'll make sure there's there's a link to that and your your other book in the show notes as well. Amari, uh, you have a podcast as well. I do. I have a podcast. It's called Shortcuts to Public Speaking Success. And it's interesting because when we were chatting before, you were saying that your podcast, you, you, you like people to have as much time as they need to share. And when I started out doing mine, um, I, I started out just... I was doing video blogs and I thought, well, why not just turn it into a podcast as well? So people obviously have as many ways to sample the content as they they, they need to. Uh, and so my videos were typically, I was like most people, kind of reluctant to do videos at the beginning. So I thought, well, I'll just do them, but just keep them short. So my videos are were typically like five to 10 minutes long. So I was releasing this podcast of like very kind of snippety kind of uh, length podcast episodes but um fortunately people i think people can consume you know a few in a go and they've found them useful so i think it's interesting how the long form podcast like your own can be really helpful because they dig deep don't they and you really get a lot more insight from the speaker but then the short ones can also be helpful because you just get like the tidbits that you need and then off to, to to the rest of your day yeah, so um, most most of my shows are certainly uh, sort of interview based, and that's been my preference. I, I I gave podcasting a try 
years back <laughs> it was a bit of a weak try to be honest I didn't stick with it for too long but, but I was just doing it by myself and and I, maybe I don't know if it's just I, I don't feel like I had enough or but I, I find that the the energy of talking to other people is uh, is much more powerful and encouraging and and that I, I, I don't know maybe it's because also when I listen when I listen to podcasts I'd rather listen usually to a conversation mm-hmm. um I have put out some episodes that adjust me by myself and I may do that again in the future, but uh, primarily the the way I love doing podcast is, is having guests on and getting to have interesting conversations like the one we're having today. And, uh, and I love doing that for, for the show that you have, which is uh, shortcuts to, to public speaking. What, what sort of tips can people f- come and find there on your show? Oh, that's a real mix, actually. So I've got uh, quite a few tips for people who are perhaps going business networking. Um, so how to present yourself when networking, because I don't know if you've ever done any business networking, but you know, the 60 second yes. pitch. Yeah, you'll get people that just try, try and cram every every facet of their business into the 60 seconds and it ends up being just, just too much for people. So, so talking about business networking, how to... Um, create a bit of intrigue so that you get that next conversation with whoever it is that you've, you've met at the networking event. And then also sharing frameworks. So uh, frameworks for storytelling, frameworks for speaking under pressure. Uh, and then some of the tips have been around just sort of motivation. And um, because a lot of people obviously, as you know, John, have lack of confidence when it comes to speaking up and being heard. So tips around finding your voice, tips around uh, just there's a, there's a great book actually called how to be an imperfectionist by Stephen guys. And he has some really good little tips in there about how to banish perfectionism and just kind of get on with things. Uh, and one that I particularly love is um, just telling yourself that you're the best at whatever this thing is, maybe just in the room that you're in or in, in Sainsbury's. But um, I think if we tell ourselves that I'm the best person, I'm the best person at making making cheese sandwiches on the best person that there's something that in the brain just yeah hey and you just stand up a bit taller and it might be the most bogus thing to be the best at but it it, it just gives you an ex- extra boost and I remember I was in um Cyprus doing uh, some gigs last year and um I like a lot of people you know sometimes have crises of confidence and I was in in Cyprus didn't speak the language and I was in this supermarket and I was like oh no what what when I when I get to the till they won't understand and then I I just said hold on you're the best Diana Ross impersonator in this supermarket that's like (laughs) so it's a kind of silly little thing a little game to play but just telling yourself that can give you an added boost (laughs) Well, I'd, I'd like to think I'm the best Diana Ross impersonator in my office, but uh, it is just it is just me here, so <laughs> there, there isn't a lot of competition. <laughs> doesn't matter, doesn't matter. <laughs> You're still the best. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's one of the things I, that I did want to ask as well about uh, about book book recommendations. I always like to get book recommendations off my guests, so I'll definitely I'll include that. But uh, but to to actually ask that specific question is, is that a book? Is that the book you would recommend if I asked you for? a book recommendation or other than your own books what what else would you recommend I think that's there are so many aren't there so I think that's a good one and it's it's one that I just re-listened to uh recently and I I, it's very easy when you listen to audiobooks sometimes things go on and you kind of miss a little bit and you sort of zone in and zone out so it was nice to listen to that one again but yeah I mean how to be an imperfectionist by Stephen Guise G-U-I-S-E it's it's the first 
few chapters are all about the sort of theory and the, the human psychology and why we tend towards perfectionism and the different kinds. And then they, he sort of stacks up all the, the tips and the hardcore takeaways for the last chapter. So it's quite nice because you can just zoom to that chapter once you've got the, 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 the you've kind of got a, a, a grounding and then just get some serious insights from there. So yeah, why not? That can be the book that I recommend. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, it's one I haven't come across before, so I, I'm, I'm happy to add that to my list of books to check out for the future as well. It sounds like a good one. I, I often talk about imperfectionism and uh, and the problems that people often have with procra- uh, procrastination because of perfectionism mm-hmm. and uh, the whole thing of just not even getting started sometimes. Yes. Uh, and I, I certainly had that issue myself when I was watching much younger I, was, I did a lot of music myself not so much a singer more of a keyboard player but oh. I used to do a lot of composing and the likes and uh and, and often would just uh, think oh that's rubbish and throw stuff away and then get to that a week later oh that idea I had the other week oh I threw it away <laughs> so, yeah oh man and that was uh that was where I, I think I started to recognize that that perfectionism that thinking that it wasn't ever good enough um was actually a problem it's like maybe it's not good enough right now but it might be good enough a, a bit later on with a bit of work and a bit of time to develop it and uh, so I stopped being a bit stopping quite so hard on myself when I realized that but still it's, it's still a journey to uh, to to not falling into that perfectionism trap. So I love the recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one thing I do like to do is, is give my guests an opportunity to, uh, to, to share how, we, how our audience can get in contact with you and find out more about you. Oh, wonderful. Well, yeah, um, I'm active on LinkedIn. So feel free to find me there, Shola Kay. And please do connect and say that you listen to this podcast. I'd love to to, to have you connect in that way. And then also I have my website, which is uh, sholakay.com. So K-A-Y-E. And then on the usual um, social media, <laughs> I'd rather not be sometimes, but on the usual social media channels. Uh, so Twitter and, and uh, Instagram and yeah, Facebook. Yeah, friend face, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, make sure all, all your social links are in the show notes for everyone to check out so they can come and connect with you and, and find your website as well. And, and hopefully people who want to come and work with you and uh, maybe even uh, uh, check out your TED Talk. I must be on YouTube, right? So uh yeah, absolutely. It's, I have a speaking page on my website, so you can find it there or just look me up on, on YouTube. Because um, I did have a bit of a nightmare with my TED, TEDx talk where um, basically what happened was they, they said to us, OK, don't take off any earrings, take off anything that might knock against the microphone when you're speaking. And because during our uh, sound check, I had the earrings in and there was no interference with the mic. I just thought, oh, OK, I'll be fine for the, the real thing. Then they might me up slightly differently. So I stepped out and the second I moved, gunk, gunk, you could just hear this earring kind of banging against the microphone. And it was really loud because, you know, the mic was turned up really high for speaking. So, um, so yeah, so when the, the, the TEDx was ultimately recorded, um, there was just this horrible interference all the way through with this earring banging. So fortunately, that, well, they put it up online and then I just begged them, please take it down, take it down, take it down, let me edit the audio. Right. So I took it down. I was able to edit the audio and put it back up again. So so yeah, I always say to people that um, there there is the dark side to TEDx. It's not all there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all the bundle of joy and laughs um, but yes right. it's there it's there 
So people can go and go and check out your talk, which has now been digitally remastered to take out all the uh, the knocks from the earrings, and uh, is now is now much more listenable. That's fantastic. I, I encourage people to do that, and and it's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you today. I, I always like to get some closing thoughts from my guests. That could be a call to action, or uh, something that's on your mind, or just uh, some words that you'd like to leave people with today. Mm. I'd say something around taking action because I think it's very easy to ruminate to overthink things and imperfect action is is better than perfect planning basically so just take some action move towards where you're trying to get to and as you said John with your composing you may not make it perfect with the first step but as long as you keep moving in the, the right direction vaguely in a zigzag pattern you'll eventually get there. So just just take action uh, towards whatever it is that you're uh, trying to achieve. And um, I have faith in you. You will make it. <laughs> <laughs> so Shona, before we finish, then you, you, had, uh, you mentioned to me that you have some things that may be helpful to our audience, some giveaways that uh, people can go and check out. Absolutely, John. And one of the things that my clients have uh, struggled with is speaking impromptu. So whether that's being in a Q&A session or uh, in a sales meeting or whether it's speaking to you know, sort of high profile uh, clients or board members and so on. So I have put together a, a sheet of different frameworks, about five or six frameworks, and I call it my short speech frameworks but they don't have to be prepared ahead of time they can just be things that you keep in mind for how to frame your ideas so if you are interested in grabbing hold of that you can just go to sholakay.com slash short speech all one word and you can download that that's uh, that's some great ways to to leave things with uh apologies again for the for the banging in the next dream it uh, must be some particularly heavy earrings for that kind of knocking that, uh, <laughs> is, uh, uh, so i do apologize it seems to have stopped though for now uh, shola i really want to thank you for coming on the show it's been a delight to speak with you, you shared some lovely messages it's been lovely to hear about empathy it's been lovely to hear about your diva plan and uh, and your books <laughs> and everything else as well really appreciate it and uh, i look forward to connecting with you again in the future and for anyone who wants to come and check you out check out the links in the show notes and go and connect with shola fantastic thanks a lot john it was a pleasure thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like and subscribe and if you're on our podcast leave us a review Whilst you're here, why not download a free copy of my new ebook, The Five Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers, available from my website, presentinfluence.com. Next week, I'll be talking all things bucket lists with the bucket list guy himself, Trav Bell. Please make sure you join us for that. He's a really entertaining guy, a great speaker, and someone who I've been connected with for years and finally had an opportunity to have a really good chat with. If you've ever thought about creating a bucket list for yourself, you're not going to want to miss that conversation. Keep a lookout for some bonus episodes dropping over the holiday period as well, making sure you don't have to go one single moment being bored during the holiday season and uh, lots of fun chats and extra material coming out there too. So join me next time for Speaking of Influence. See you then.